Welcome everyone to this week's edition of A Healthy Obsession, a podcast by Small Goal Soccer covering football culture from around the world. My name is Adam Thelwell and this week I'm going to be talking to Sam Davy. Sam is the founder and owner of Park Social Soccer Club. Park Social is a company that makes soccer gear and clothing, but at the center of the company and the heartbeat is this really great social mission, uh, using football to do good things around the world. So I'm going to be talking to Sam about the projects and some of the impacts that they've had, but also football at large as always. You can check the show out wherever you get your podcasts around the internet and we appreciate everyone being part of the community and being part of the group. It means a lot that everyone's taking the time out of their day to listen to the show. We hope you all enjoy it and we're going to get into it now. All right, so why don't we get started by telling people that don't know about uh, Park Social Soccer Club exactly what it is. So Park Social Soccer Club, we, we well, myself and my business partner, um, Tara Montaneri, who, um, who lives in, in New York, um, both of us are um, keen, keen football um, fans and players over the years. Um, so we founded we founded Park in 2015, and really the idea behind it was to use you know to put a brand out there that um, used design and art um, to create beautiful products, and every product that we made um, helps people in a disadvantaged situation. Um, so essentially, Park is a is a socially um, social action brand that um, basically, yeah, creates products, creates experiences, um, and starts to kind of galvanise um, people all over the world around the simple idea that soccer can change the world. Um, and everything, yeah, everything that we do, everything. Um, that we make um, is all centered around that um, that that particular thought um, our belief that um, soccer is um, you know the great leveler it's a, you know it's the unifying sport it's the thread that kind of connects um, you know millions billions of people around the world and um, you know if we kind of boil it down I believe that really the reason why we love it is because of you know the friends and the 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 connections and the moments that we kind of gain from being involved with it um and i think it's really about taking those moments and um and those friendships um you know cross-cultural friendships cross you know class systems cross you know cross situations borders beliefs and um and, and yeah, using using that for good, essentially. And what was you said it was 2015? What at that time? What was some of the inspiration between yourself and your partners to to move into this and and get it moving as a startup? Um, I I guess you know I was at a time in my life um, where I kind of had the I had the time to think about it to entertain it, hmm. um, and um, you know prior. You know, prior to well, you know, um, 
in the early sort of early to you know sort of late 2000s I, I was at Apple in um, in California and um, one of the projects I worked on there one of the questions that um, Steve Jobs asked was how can Apple do well by doing good and it's a really interesting question and a question that I hadn't heard asked um, before I hadn't you know I wasn't aware at that point of this I guess this sort of gray area between charity and, and, and commercial business um, and you know we did a project um, with Steve to kind of conceive ideas of how how that philosophy could be applied to Apple and um, came up with some pretty interesting ideas um, unfortunately um, the one that we all liked didn't go through because of his health situation. Um, and, you know, then I subsequently left Apple and moved on and did other things. And, but that, you know, I guess that kind of thought that he put into, um, put into my brain stayed with me. And I started, you know, thinking more and more about how, you know, how businesses should be doing well by doing good and, um, you know, what that means and, you know, how, how that, you know, translates itself to, you know, how a business operates and, you know, how it views its customers and its products and all of those sorts of things. Um, so then when I, you know, got to a point in my life where I was, you know, had a little bit of time to think and I could, you know, I had the luxury of sort of, in a way, deciding what my next move um, would be and where I was going to focus my time. Um, I decided that, I wanted to focus it on a, on a business that did good. Um, and then it really, you know, I, I basically just lumped all together all the things that I really loved. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I really love, I really love soccer. I really love, you know, I've got three kids. I've coached sort of community soccer for many years. So I was like, I really love doing that. I love seeing kids kind of playing the game and getting enjoyment out of it. Um, I love design. I know my skill set is in design and product and marketing and those sorts of things. I love all of that. Um, and um, yeah, so I just sort of, I kind of basically just bolted it all together and it sort of came together around the moment of um, my, I was having a, a real dad conversation with my eldest son about him not taking care of. Um, his gear, you know, like leaving balls and boots and stuff out in the rain and mm -hmm. not really, um, you know, not really, you know, thinking much about it. Um, and it was one of those classic moments of, you know, there are kids around the world that would, you know, um, give their left arm for, you know, one of these balls or a pair of boots or whatever, you know, you think they grow on trees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it just sort of, I don't know, the sort of the, idea sort of jumped into my brain and I was like, well, hang on a minute, maybe we could make a football that, you know, was the same, you know, equivalent quality to, you know, the other kind of major brands out there and, you know, could compete on design and shelf appeal, but um, had, um, had a different message, you know, that when we, when we sold one, we, we passed an identical one on to one of these kids and then everybody's got a ball. Mm. Um, so that was really kind of where it started and you know then it was just um you know researching and finding um you know a manufacturer that was willing to work with us and work on you know very small volumes and um do do it a little bit differently um and uh yeah we just 
the initial once we we spent about a year sort of Tara and I kind of you know making um, you know making prototypes, getting the ball to be the you know the right level of kind of you know sort of playability and durability and all these sorts of things. Um, and um, and then we essentially just ordered, I think it was um, three thousand balls was the first order, mm. and we just sent fifteen hundred to her parents' garage in um, in um, Long Island and um, sent um, fifteen hundred to my garage in Melbourne, <laughs> and we were like, right, okay, let's just start. You know, let's put a website up. Let's just start selling these balls and selling this idea. Um, and that's where we kind of began, really. Are the balls themselves are they are they heavy like futsal balls or more like traditional football? The, 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 we do both. So there's um, there's a we do a futsal ball um, and we also do just a you know a more traditional training ball essentially. And um, we then brought in uh, match balls about um, eighteen months ago. Um, and yeah, so it's sort of like the the full the full suite really. Now, and I'll come back to the ball in a minute because it's, it's really interesting. So uh, just to go back a second on the kind of socially conscious uh, bit, yeah. function of the business, is that something why you've been working on this? Have you seen other groups doing similar types of uh, the efforts that are socially conscious with uh, obviously running a business as well? But has, has that become uh, a trend you've seen across football or are you guys the first movers, if you will, in that? Um, it's not something that I've seen widely implemented across football, I have to say, or, or sport, really. Mm. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, charitable organisations out there that use, you know, use football to, you know, engage um, kids and youth and all sorts of different, you know, different things that they use it for, which are, you know, the, the organisations that we partner with. But... Um, there isn't um, really another um, another sport or football brand per se that is really focused on um, creating impact at its core. You know, mm. there's there's people that you know they'll do they'll do some you know they'll they'll give some product away from time to time. You know, generally kind of you know end of line or you know old product or whatever, but they're not solely focused on creating that connection um, between the, those, that, the, 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 those of us that have and the, those of us that do not have. Mm. So. And uh, maybe just at large, there's, it seems like there's a lot of companies that are kind of doing what you just described where uh, I think it's Warby Parker do glasses, right? So yeah. it's like buy a pair and they donate a pair. So right. th- that that trend has has emerged not just in football, just at large anywhere globally. Yeah, and I then, agree. I mean, like you know, you, you look at Tom's shoes; they were the, probably the first movers yeah. um, in the one for one space. Uh, Warby Parker with glasses. Um, there's you know, I mean, brands like Patagonia that have had you know, impact at their core for mm. many years, um, but do it, you know, in a, in a different, in a different way. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I think, you know, it's an, it's a very important um, component um, for brands, um, you know, increasingly com- uh, important as, um, you know, as we move forwards and, you know, the, the new kind of generations of consumers come through, it's something that, you um, you know they expect. You know they expect their brands to um, 
to deliver a, a, a positive impact on society and on the mm. environment, you know, not to, um, not to take, um, you know, but to, uh, but to give. And um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, when you sort of say it, it's a very simple idea, but when mm. you put it into practice, it, it becomes quite complex. You know, it, it really challenges, you know, your, you know, the way that you think about business, you know, and the way that you think about product development and the way that you think about, you know, margins and um, marketing and all sorts of things, you know. I was going to say that it brings its own challenge being a sort of socio-capitalist organization, right? Have you found that challenging in parts with the crossover between uh, being a uh, commercial operation move like in in with uh, the charity effort as well as is, is that crossover hard as, as far as actual running of the business goes how have you found that um not no not not necessarily hard i think it um you know you talk to some people and they don't understand what it is you know and they, they you know they they sort of struggle with the concept of like well are you a charity can can we um, you know, donate money, and it's like, no, we're not a charity. We're a we're mm. a for-profit business, mm. um, but we just create impact and um, essentially create good at every step that we take. Um, but it's not. Um, no, I haven't found it hard. I think it 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 opens up. It just gives you a completely different way of looking at things. Mm. So it opens up, um, you know, lots of opportunities that wouldn't normally be open to you, um, you know, allows you to have much different um, conversations with, you know, with consumers um, and, um, and partners, you know, it opens up all sorts of collaborative and um, partnership opportunities. And um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's great. I love it. You know, I think it's, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a firm believer, obviously, in that <laughs> it's the, the way that everybody should be working yeah you you can make money but still do good stuff right the two don't have to be mutually exclusive yeah yeah correct and as far as what you were just describing there how's it been received just in the football community in australia and globally as well has it been received pretty well with open arms and and people like looking to help out and join in yeah um all of that really Mm. um i mean you know, we mentioned prior to this that uh, we were talking about um, before we started recording uh, Pete Martin at Soccer Bible. Mm. You know, Pete. You know, Pete's originally from South Africa, um, so I mean, he fully understands and has seen firsthand. You know, the disadvantaged side of um, of the sport. Um, I mean, he reached out to me. Oh, I think it was maybe after about a year of us being up and running. And just said, you know, we love what you're doing. We want to support it. Um, you know, you know, what what can we do? We were, you know, we we, you know, they they, they told our story essentially in in the magazine. Um, but then they, you know, we went on and did a collaboration, a collaborative ball with them and um, Juan Matters Charity um, Common Goal. Mm. Um, and so it's it's been sort of that type of a scenario where, you know, we've had, you know, just once, once people find us and they sort of see what we're doing and um, they, you know, the response is 99.9% of the time overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. You know? It's like people love, you know, the message that we're putting out there. 
they like the look of the products. You know, when people start to use the products, they realize that the products are really good quality. Um, you know, we've got, you know, soccer clubs and futsal academies and all sorts of different people that are, you know, buying, you know, bulk buying the balls from us. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, you've got, you know, individuals buying the balls, you know, for themselves. And then you've got, you know, parents buying the balls um, for their kids. You know, they want their kids to, um, to start to understand what the quality um, looks like and, and, and why we should think about it and, you know, why there are, you know, kids just like them around the world that don't have the same access to the sport that they have. And how can we change that? You know, how can we think differently about what we do? You know, all of those, all of those conversations kind of, you know, I guess open up when you put a product on the table that does what the ball does, you know, mm. um, you know, which was essentially, you know, I guess my aim in the beginning, which was to, um, you know, to, you know, I find that when I want to have a conversation with my kids, putting a tangible, object in the middle of that conversation is really helpful you know yeah it makes sense to articulate it yeah. and you mentioned just about futsal academies so futsal is just sort of gained a bit of traction in the u.s it's it's not uh because street football obviously you lived in the state so you've you've kind of seen the soccer culture here but futsal is just sort of picking up some steam and it's becoming a part of the uh, kids curriculum a lot of the different yeah. clubs out here so I, I was curious, you said that you're selling both a futsal ball and a regular ball. What is the, the difference there between the sales? Are you seeing one pick up more than the other and more people playing futsal? Or what's the trend there? No, the, the, it's certainly the regular ball is the ball that is the best-selling ball. You know, the, uh, kind of, you know, a regular size five training ball would be, you know, our best seller. Um, the futsal ball... Um, you know what, it, it tends to go in waves, I have to say. You know, we sort of get these, um, you know, sort of patches of where futsal balls are, you know, hot property, essentially. And we, mm. you know, we're getting a lot of customers coming in and just just buying futsal balls. And then you won't get a futsal ball sale for, for you know, like a month or something, you know, <laughs> and then it'll come back again. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one. Um, I think it's maybe as it sort of gets adopted by different patches of people or, you know, somebody, you know, somebody picks up on it and then, you know, they show it to some friends and, you know, you kind of get a little cluster of, of purchase. Um, you know, I think, you know, we've done, you know, we've done a few, um, you know, uh, partnerships with, um, you know, sort of charitable um, sort of small sided tournaments and things like that. Um, you know, we did the, um, we were the official ball for the Neymar Junior Fives finals in the US. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of, uh, was it in 2018 we did that. Um, when they were held in Miami, um, they, yeah, we partnered with them. Um, you know, they purchased about 80 futsal balls for, uh, for, the, for the tournament. Um, and then obviously then there was another 80 balls that we then worked with, um, you know, local, um, charities, um, in, um, uh, in, in the Miami area, um, to basically pass those other 80 balls into those communities. 
and then actually when the when the finals was over, um, obviously there's you know there's almost like about eighty balls left, and you know they've you know not had that much game time. So all of those what was left was also passed into the charities as well. So it worked out really well. I mean you know for Red Bull you know it was um, you know it was a really great opportunity for them to um, you know to run a you know a great event but then also leave a legacy um and connect with the with the local community in a way that they wouldn't normally have been possible in australia is a, a like a street football culture because it's uh maybe similar to the us as far as uh, football growth and that kind of thing is there much people is there many people playing uh, uh futsal and like street football yeah it's certainly it's certainly picking up you know here there's i mean I guess the the, the the geographical thing about Australia is there's a lot of space, mm. you know, so there is a lot of, you know, grassland and parkland and, you know, and pitches and, and places to play, um, you know, larger sided games. Um, but there's certainly um, a movement towards, um, you know, street football. You see a lot more, uh, you know, kids, you know, just, you know, in, you know, you know, on basketball courts or wherever, just kind of like playing like little, you know, little pickup games and things like that. So it's certainly, uh, it's certainly on the rise for sure. At, at large, do you think, is it the, the same with just soccer in general? Maybe not just street football, but do you, do you see it, having lived in the States, do you see it as where we've got NFL and MLB and and Australia, there's Aussie rules and rugby and cricket. Is, is there soccer kind of at the same stage where it's picking up and gaining some momentum there? Yeah, it's the largest um, participation sport in the country. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, nice. So I think, I think the, the, the stats that I read, which were a few years old, was that I think, um, yeah, soccer is kind of eclipsed. Um, the largest, actually, the largest participation sport that was there was netball. Um, you know, like there's, there's so many girls were playing netball. Mm. Um, and then, um, and then soccer has, has come through and has taken the number one spot. So it's um, yeah, it's certainly being viewed as um, you know the kind of the the sport that is that is on the rise. And I think that you know we they brought in the A League here about eleven years ago, mm. um, and um, you know that certainly put you know put a you know. Uh, another level on the sport here for for the for the younger generations that they could actually you know they could go to you know bigger stadiums and you know watch um you know watch a, a more kind of professional level of the game shall we say yeah and is, is that uh is the standard is it decent enough the mls struggled there for some years it's much better now when when i first moved to the states but is it uh the standard is it reasonable in the a-league it's getting there. I think it's in a similar situation as the NLS. You'll get um, or the NLS, how the NLS was, shall we say. Um, you know, they've sort of, um, they've had patches of, of good, you know, like sort of good seasons and bad seasons in a way. Yeah. You know, where, you know, where you get a, a good season where you have like, you know, a few teams that are kind of all at a similar level and they've, they've brought in some marquee players and everything's kind of seemed to have worked out and it's all sort of gelled. And then there are bad seasons where it just doesn't, you know, doesn't quite come together, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. But um, I think, um, 
Yeah, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly improving. It's just going to take, it's going to take, um, um, you know, a few more years for it to to really kind of kick in. They did, um, I think it was maybe, I'm going to say maybe like three seasons ago, they opened up essentially a, um, uh, a cup competition that went across the A-League, but then also down into the, um, you know, the lower, the lower leagues, the semi-professional leagues. Um, so that was really great. You know, that's kind of like really sort of, um, you know, opened up the interest and to be honest, like, you know, created a better standard, I think, of, of the game where you've got, you know, you know, semi-professional teams in, you know, small, you know, 3,000 seat stadiums, you know, playing against, you know, Sydney FC, you know. And if people, as, as far as the actual culture around, like the match day experience, is that similar? Is that UK style with the, the supporter culture, or is have Australia kind of forged their own um, supporter styles and you know the sing songs and that kind of thing? I think it's a bit of a hybrid. I have to say. I mean, um, I think it's sort of a similar sort of. It's a bit of a mix of um, sort of European sort of supporter culture and and US kind of style in a way. Um, you know, like, I mean, I remember when I went first went to the US, I was absolutely gobsmacked that the fans from, from, uh, from rival teams were just walking into stadium <laughs> next to each other. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, where are the horses? Where are the dogs? <laughs> uh, where are the lines of, you know, policemen? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. people are, you know, like where's that kind of tension and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it just wasn't there, you know. It was just people just, like, ambling in, chatting to each other, you know, grabbing something to eat, sitting down next to each other, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, so there's there's a sort of certain amount of that that goes on here, um, you know. But there's, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's sort of, like I said, it's a bit, of a bit of a mixture. I think, you know, Australians tend to... No, no. It, it's a, it's it's always been a bit of a mixture of culture between that sort of American vibe and um, and European vibe, kind of all blended together. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and the uh, as far as your local team is that is it Melbourne City? Uh, yeah, uh, Melbourne City is my uh, is my team of choice. Yeah. Uh, so and they're are they owned by the Manchester City Group? Is that the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're part of the City Group. All right. So, have they have they done any like marquee type stuff like they've done for Manchester City with the spending, or is it a little bit more regulated in the Australian league than it would be in the UK? A little bit more regulated. Um, we had um, Tim Cahill for a, a season, nice. um, and um, we had um, uh, David Villa. Villa came here for a little bit. Um, I think he was here for about. Uh, six games or something like that mm. um but um it's no it's mainly um you know sort of lower tier um uh, marquees shall we say um but yeah it's great I, I you know i really enjoy it the kids really enjoy it you know it's it's fun to you know watch the players you know you can get you know you can get a lot more you know you get a lot closer to the professional players, you know, and you know, sort of build a, a bit more of a of a relationship, you know, for with those with those players, you know, it sort of becomes 
you know, I think a little bit more um, personal, you know. Mm. You're not, yeah, it's not sort of, you know, you're not kind of held at arm's length with, you know, thousands of other people, you know. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bit more of a community feel versus... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> And as far as you mentioned, you've got kids, kids at play. Is the structure, I don't know if your kids played in the States or not, but here it's, it's a bit of a, a hot topic is the pay-to-play problem where kids have got to pay these crazy amounts of money to play at club football in America. Is it similar in Australia or is it a little bit more uh, open and sort of accessible for everyone? No, similar problem, mm. uh, which is one of my real bugbears. Um, is yeah it's essentially if you you know if you want to go and play at a community club just a there's essentially there's sort of two levels of of uh of um of, of football available for kids so my kids are um, got one that plays who's um who's 10 and one that is um uh, 15 and essentially you, you can go and play a, a community club, which is run by, you know, volunteers. And, you know, it's like they've got, you know, the land that they, that they play on is, is generally owned by the, by the local authority. Um, and um, you generally pay somewhere between 250 to $450 a season for your kid to go and play there. Mm. Um, and that that fee would cover, you know, insurance. It covers, you know, like you know, they, they give you, you know, your kit for the year, you know, and obviously, you know, any other, you know, training equipment and you know, balls and all of that sort of stuff that they buy with it. But the coaches themselves are not, you know, they're not paid coaches. They're all, you know, just volunteer mm. um, coaches at, at, at different levels of ability. You know, some of them. You know, maybe never never played or coached the game before, and some of them are you know more serious and um, you know more um, you know more involved essentially. And then the level above that is called um, the NPL or the National Premier League um, level. Mm-hmm. So that is the, the 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 sort of there's like two tiers of that that kind of sit underneath the A League. So these are clubs that. Um, have a essentially a, a professional first team side um and they also run all the way down to um you know to youth um you know down to you know under nines under tens um and those clubs cost you know in the region of about you know a thousand dollars essentially a season to go and play at. Hmm. And, go on sorry I was going to say, and for that, you know, you get, you know, a, you know, a higher, you know, supposedly a higher quality of coach, you know, their coaches are paid, some of them full-time, some of them part-time. Um, and you, um, you know, the idea being that the kids play at a higher standard uh, against other teams that are kind of at a higher standard, essentially. That's the theory, essentially. Do, do you think that this is like a barrier to entry is maybe it's not getting everybody in that could potentially be, you know, the next players from Australia that are going to go on and do all the good stuff in soccer for the next 10 years because of this barrier to entry. I think that happens here where, you know, maybe a a kid can't afford to be, his parents can't afford to be in 
like a certain program where there are better coaches or there are better opportunities to be viewed and go on and play at a higher level is that kind of a similar thing happening there or do you think the barrier century is still accessible for most people no not at all i think you know i think that it causes a huge um opportunity gap shall we say Mm. um for um for kids and families to be able to access the sport yeah there's you know there's um you know there's massive amounts of potential talent that sits in the country that um yeah just you know they just they can't you know they, they they don't even have access to you know transport to get themselves to the game or to training let alone paying you know 400 you know dollars a year to go and do it you know what i mean yeah no it makes sense uh, we were, uh, as you said one of the one of the um, our partners here is a, an organization called the community soccer hub um and they um they, they kind of came out of a couple of other organizations that we supported for a few years um, that were really centered around looking after um, refugees and families and individuals that were seeking asylum in Australia. Um, and they had a, you know, they had a soccer program that was sort of a fairly, you know, sort of, you know, friendly sort of just, you know, it was just a, a basically more of a, a, a PE lesson than it was necessarily a, a, a structured program. Um, but then a couple of years ago, they kind of pulled it all together into this thing called the Community Soccer Hub. And they now run, um, they run, you know, uh, it was about 350 um, kids and, and, and youth that, um, that are in their program and they have a, you know, they have a first team that they're trying to get into the, you know, into that NPL um, sort of state league kind of level of play. Um, and then they've got, a, a, you know, a, a number of other teams that kind of sit underneath that, um, that um, unfortunately, because they, they don't have the money, they basically have to play kind of intra-club um, games for the entire season. So they've created their own kind of little league of about 13 teams hmm. that play every week and train every week um, because they, to, you know, to put those teams into a league, you know, it's too expensive. Um, and, you know, they've then got the issues of, of transportation as well. Like in the, you know, the, the, the families can't get um, the kids to where they need to be. <laughs> um, so you know, like that's a you know that's a that's a prime example, and so we support those guys. You know, we provide all the balls for their programs, um, and um, you know they don't charge anything for the kids to come and play. So it's just completely free, and they have good quality coaches. They've um, you know they've managed to secure some um, access and to um, some good um, you know facilities, some good land essentially that they can run it on. Um, but I, you know, I'd like to see more and more of those programs um, being available and, 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 and more support for those programs so that there is, you know, that pathway to get those teams to be able to play against um, other teams, you know? I was going to say, it sounds like it's prime for some park social style disruption and, uh, you know, layer the, the do good model on top of this and, you know, maybe it's ripe, ripe for some disruption. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of the, the Robin Hood model, really. It's like, yeah. you know, my, my, you know, my wow. idea is that, you know, the more, you know, the more affluent clubs that buy their equipment from us, the more of the, um, the struggling clubs we can support with free equipment. You know, mm. it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's like if we have a, if we have a, you know, a club that comes to us and buys, you know, 200 balls for their, for their program, we've got 200 balls that we can give to the community soccer hub, like yeah. done. You know, it's like, it's that easy, you know? Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, and, you know, then it's a win-win for everybody, you know? Yeah, no, that's, um, that, that's the type of, the idea that should be in place just across, especially kids football. Like really no one in the world should not be able to play football because of money. I mean, that's, that's when the game's being taken away from just everybody, which is the game is for everybody, right? It shouldn't be limited yeah. to, limited to, oh, well, you've not got enough money, mate. Sorry, you can't play. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, such a simple game, you know, when you, you know, when you boil it down, you need a, you know, you need a, a, a ball and a bit of space, you know, and, and that's it. Um, and, um, but, you know, somehow we've managed to kind of overcomplicate this to the point where, you know, people just can't have access to that. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, you know, balls are pretty simple object, but you know, they do wear out, they get punctured, they get lost. You know, it's like, you know, when, you know, when you're running a, you know, a soccer program, you know, you want every kid that's in that program to have a ball at their feet. You know, it's like, you can't, you know, we're constantly told that you, you know you can't learn the game unless you've got a ball at your feet. You know, mm. so it's like when you, you know, when you've got a soccer program, you've got, you know, fifty kids in it, and you've got three balls, it's not possible. Yeah, and where where have, where have the majority of your balls been sent? Uh, is there like a, a a certain part of the world that you see uh, where you're sending more to that need more resource, or is it just kind of spread all over? It's, it's spread all over, really. I mean, we do send a, quite a few to a lot of the African nations mm. um, because there are a lot of charities that are focused in that area. Um, you know, so we've sent, you know, I mean, we've sent balls from everywhere from South Africa, Zimbabwe, you know, Ghana, Tanzania, Cameroon. Uh, Sierra Leone, Uganda, Kenya, all over, pretty much all over Egypt. Um, and then obviously there's, um, we work with some charities over in the US that support um, uh, kids down in Central America. Um, mm. And a, a fair amount have gone down to, gone down to um, those countries. Um, but then here in Australia, you know, like we work with, you know, as I said, the people at the community soccer hub, but then also, you know, organizations that support the, the indigenous kids in Australia, you know, which are mainly, you know, sort of up in, you know, sort of the, you know, the, you know, the Northern and sort of more central parts of the country. Mm. Um, but it's, it's everywhere, you know, it's like the, the opportunity gap is, is, is actually growing wider. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, especially after, you know, what's happening at the moment with the entire globe, um, you know, we're going to see, you know, horrific, you know, consequences from it, you know. You know, you've got, you know, kids in Spain, kids in Italy, kids all over the world that are going to, you know, they're, they're, 
their life's going to be turned upside down because of what's happening. You know, their, their families will be, you know, devastated because of their lack of, you know, economic ability. And, um, you know, that will basically mean that they will get no access to the things that are made to be seen as being a, a, a luxury, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, no, uh, and I, like you said, the fall, the fallout is when a, a company like yours is going to do amazing things for something as seemingly simple as a, a football will be uh, a huge relief for somebody if it's just getting out of the house and kicking the ball against the wall for ten minutes. You know, little, you know when things are things are tough, that's that's just like more than ever. A company like yours is going to be is going to be needed. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's like, I mean, from literally escaping and kicking a ball against the wall. I mean, I mean, how many times did, you know, did we do that as kids? Oh, right? yeah. You know, like, that's what you did. You just went out, kicked the ball against the wall, went to the park, kicked it around, you know, whatever. That, that was like your, your, your ability to just get out, be in a safe space, be with people, you know, be with friends and, you know, kind of, you know, like you start playing, um, you know, you start playing football or I mean, any sport really that you're that you're into you know like your, your troubles disappear you know like you kind of go into another world it can, can become like a you know safe kind of dreamlike you know space you know where you know allows you to kind of you know get some escape from the realities of what's happening and um you know bring some fun and some laughter and joy into you know what could otherwise be you know quite um testing circumstances definitely um i mean we you know the 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 organizations and charities that we work with you know like i mean there's some there are some like the community soccer hub that i mean ultimately you know they're running a, a a program that helps you know kids that are kind of newly arrived to australia find their feet in this new land you know so a lot of them don't speak the same language they don't understand the culture they don't you know they have friends you know and it's about kind of you know kids from you know africa meeting kids from you know afghanistan or iraq or you know you know indonesia or you know wherever you know and kind of like mixing and and, and finding out that you know there are similarities there are more similarities than there are differences and but yet then there are other you know organizations like you know some in you know there's one in um in uganda that that's primary objective is to run a feeding program for um for kids in the slums of kampala mm. um and they feed about 400 kids a week that are basically just living on the streets um and they started up a a football program as a way of keeping the kids in a safe environment for a bit longer, basically. Okay. You know, what they, what they saw was that they, you know, they brought the kids in, they gave them something to eat, but then they disappeared and they went back into these, you know, dangerous situations. Um, and they were, you know, obviously being, you know, pulled into crime, pulled into drugs, pulled into prostitution, pulled into all sorts of um, horrific scenarios. Um, and they thought that, you know, by running a soccer program, in a safe place then you know obviously it keeps them in a safe place for a longer period of time um allows them to kind of reach these kids you know build trust um give them other you know access to vital services and 
you know, health and um, medical assistance and all sorts of things. So, and that program has now grown to about four or five teams. They've got um, two girls teams that are the only girls teams that have, you know, in that entire region, there's nobody else that's doing it. And, you know, like that, that's a, you know, it's, a, it's again, a slightly different way of using the sport, you know, it's like, um, so there's, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like we, you know, we work with some amazing organizations that do amazing things and, you know, we don't ever, you know, think that you know, that's not our role. Our role is really to kind of almost be their, you know, their mouthpiece, you know, like their marketing yeah. <laughs> um, department in a way, you know, we're out there kind of like telling their stories and, um, you know, using our skills, um, to kind of spread that 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 mission and that word through through the products and the stuff that we do, really. So it's got to be amazing just to see the direct impact as well. Like that must have been something over the years you've been doing this. It's just phenomenal to see that you can have a direct impact with something as simple as a football. Oh, yeah! It blows my mind every every yeah. time. You know, it's like it's crazy. You, know, you sort of think that you know. You think you've seen it, you know, you've seen all, all of the different things and then you see something else and you're like, wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, we had a, a film, I've uh, got a film actually this week from a documentary filmmaker who I put in touch with one of the organisations in Cameroon that we support and they're called Ape Action Africa. So they're, um, they're all about saving um, orphaned um, gorillas um, and uh, and chimpanzees um, in Cameroon. So you know their mothers and fathers are uh, killed for meat, um, and the babies are basically you know sort of chucked back or they're sold into um, you know as pets or whatever. Mm. And eventually they they come around to them, and some of them have got you know obviously psychological um, issues, or they've got you know really quite you know horrific injuries, missing limbs and things like that. So this organization, it's a wonderful organization set in a very remote part of Cameroon, like in the, essentially in the jungle. Um, and they've got, um, you know, they've got a staff of about 30, 30 people that work there. And, you know, and, and the staff that work there, you know, their families live there as well. And the one thing that kind of keeps them all connected and you know, brings them kind of that, you know, that recreation is playing football. You know, they've got, They've set up a pitch there and, you know, they play games against, you know, like the local villages and, you know, it's like, it's, it's like their thing. It's like the thing that they love doing, you know, while they're also doing this, you know, really quite hard and, um, you know, um, much needed um, job, essentially. Um, but they can't buy, you know, there's nowhere for them to buy a football. There's no shops. There's no... Mm. You know, they don't have them you know they're, they're being paid to do a, a job so they're you know they're kind of higher up in the in the um you know on the kind of economic scale but they still don't have enough money to go and spend on sporting equipment and things like that so you know like i got this a beautiful film you know that just about what they would you know what they do and how they work and how football plays a massive part in their life and um and they're in the middle of the jungle in Cameroon. You know? And you said it's called Ape Action, is the name of it? Ape Action Africa. Ape yeah. Action Africa. Nice. Fantastic organisation. 
Yeah, that sounds really cool. So before we talk about just kind of what's next for, for Park Social, I, I wanted to jump back to the design part of this real quick. So I found it interesting. You mentioned you worked at Apple. And mm-hmm. as far as the design, one of the first things that stood out to me when I, when I saw your website and kind of looked through some of the uh, different design pieces of, of what makes up the website and also the products is it's so aesthetically uh, it's different it stands out so I was really curious when I was looking through it and now you talked about your background at Apple what were some of the inspirations just as far as the design goes for the products and the site is is there a certain uh, style or inspiration that you used for the design for the stuff yeah um Really, it kind of boils down to I I wanted to create something that felt very accessible. Mm. Um, I wanted to create something that had um, that really felt like it had a lot of soul attached to it, that wasn't cold or clinical or technical, but was very warm and um, um, inviting, shall we say. Mm. Um, and really, when you sort of when you come at um, football as a as a as an essentially as an a, as an equipment manufacturer, you know, when you come at football from a from a non technical perspective, right? So you know, rather than putting the kind of technical and performance um, lens on things and making that the most important message. Um, we, you know, it, you know, the, the, the performance and the technical is, is still there, but we decided to downplay that and really focus on the idea of inclusion and friendship and, um, yeah, soul, the soul of, of what it is that we love about the game. Mm. Um, you come out with a very different outcome. You know what I mean? Like you come out with something that doesn't that doesn't look like anything that you've seen before. You know, I mean, essentially, you know, like the balls are all hand drawn. You know, they're you know they're hand drawn by me. You know, it was really just um, you know like the exact opposite of um, what was going on um, elsewhere. You know, what other brands? Um, you know how their how their design process works. We we flipped it on its head and literally, you know, I get black marker pens out and bits of paper and I make designs and, and, and then we translate those onto, onto the balls. Um, so yeah, it was really a, a visual language that is focused around, yeah, the, the, the message, the, the mission, you know, the idea that, you know, we can all kind of come together as friends and, and, and get so much more out of this beautiful game that we love. And that's what, um, yeah, that's what the visual language is about. It's about just being approachable and friendly and uh, warm and, um, yeah, just just something just just the absolute opposite to, you know, what, else, what, what the other things that are out there. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong about what they're doing. You know, like there's, you know, like there's, there's some beautiful designs that come out, but it's just the fact that, you know, we wanted to take a very different perspective. You know, was I right that I saw a, a Park Life on one of the balls? Is that a, a, the Blur song? Is that where that's from? <laughs> yeah, my uh, my early nineties um, <laughs> uh, musical uh, taste sort of got the better of me. I think at that moment, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that. I said that's got that's got to be a song reference. <laughs> 
yeah, that was a song reference, yeah, for sure. Cool. So, but before we wrap up, just what, what's the next steps for for Park? Is is there any uh, projects you're currently working on, or things that you've got lined up? New product lines? What what's kind of the next five years look like as far as Park goes? Wow, five years—that's a long time. All right. Well, um, well yeah. Especially if things would, are things are double, double, double our existence. Um, <laughs> um, what 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 do we see? Look, there's um, we're working on a really big partnership at the moment that I can't actually um, mm. talk. Um, because it's sort of in um, it's an embargo and from a communications perspective um, but it's um, it's yeah it's going to be pretty huge it's going to sort of put us on a, a real global level um, exposes to um, yeah a, a, a lot a, a massive millions of, of soccer playing community around the world essentially so that's something that we've been working on for a few months and will be coming out um, uh, sort of over the next sort of like four or five months um, as we go through this year. So that's super exciting. Um, and, um, you know, maybe we can do a follow-up conversation after that's happened and I can tell you all about it. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, and um, we, you know, we opened up, um, we opened up a, we have a distributor now in uh, Japan. Um, so we, um it was about 18, well, no, it was probably a year ago, I think now, um, I met um, Keisuke Honda, uh, the Japanese footballer. Um, and he, um, he came on board as, a, as an investor in the, in the brand and um, as an ambassador for us and, and through him sort of putting his, um, his sort of weight behind us, we've been able to um, open up a lot of doors in Japan. So we're sort of working with our, Kind of new Japanese team to um, to yeah to sort of make inroads into that market. So a lot of exciting things happening there. I think we'll be doing um, you know launching the brand properly. It was all planned to happen um, to coincide with just before the Olympics, but obviously you know that's all kind of been pushed out. But um, I think as we go into next year, we'll be doing a lot of things in that market. Um, um, with them and um, with uh, with KSK as well, um, yeah. So it's um, it's looking pretty interesting. There's a, there's a lot of really kind of cool things kind of happening, um, and um, yeah, I guess um, just kind of follow along and see see where we get to. Yeah, definitely sounds exciting. So if people want to check out the the products and and make uh, buy a ball, get involved, what's the website yeah. for that? That's uh, parksc.com. Okay, and so where, just, where are you? Uh, sorry, Bob. Yeah, if you, yeah, that's uh, that's our kind of global site. We ship all over the world, um, and uh, yeah. And and where are you guys at on social media? What are the handles? Instagram, Twitter. Uh, yeah, for Instagram is our main channel, so that's just park underscore ssc. Um, and you can follow you know, everything that we do. We just kind of post it out on there. So all of our, all of our impact, um, you know, uh, reports and um, you know images and videos and stuff um, that we um, that we get back from the field all goes out on that channel. So you can um, you can absolutely follow along there. Cool, perfect. Well, listen, Sam, thanks for your time. It's been great having you on and hopefully we'll get you back and hear about this, uh, the mystery projects in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, soon, it's, soon uh, enough. It's like burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's um, good.
But uh, yeah, no, thanks, Adam. I really, um, I really appreciate it. All right, everyone, that's it. The end of today's show, full time. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate it. Make sure to go and share with your mates if you enjoyed the show. Check Park Social out. They're doing some really cool stuff, as you heard. And once again, thanks for listening. It means a lot, and we appreciate you being part of the community. Check back on Tuesday. We'll be doing a weekly roundup show, me and Tom Hurdle. And next week on the show, we've got Cult Kits. We're going to be talking everything about football kits. It's amazing. Check back next week, and be safe, be well, and we'll see you all then. Cheers.